All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 this morning. If you've got a Bible and you'd like to follow along, I would highly encourage you to do so. Okay, during World War II, there is a, a, a story that was told that uh, um, some soldiers, some American soldiers who were fighting in France had a, a uh, fellow soldier, somebody they'd gone through basics with, somebody they were really close with, had been killed in a firefight, and they wanted to bury him. They didn't want to just leave him on the, on the, the field there. They, they wanted to bury him. And real close to where they were was a, a very picturesque little Catholic chapel that had a, uh, a cemetery right next to it and had a, had a fence around the cemetery. And they went over to the chapel and they, they went in and they found the priest and they asked the priest if they could bury their friend in the cemetery there. And the priest said, well, was he Catholic? If he's not Catholic, he can't be buried here. And they said, no, he wasn't Catholic. He was Methodist. And the, the priest said, well, I'm sorry, he can't be married here. But the priest also noticed how, how upset that, that the friends were. And he said, come, come with me. And he walked him outside of the fence and he showed him a, a pretty little area that was just outside the fence. He said, you can bury your friend here. And they said, okay, and they did. Now it was getting late in the day, so they went and reconnected with their company. And the next morning they were getting ready to, to, to pull out and um, they wanted to go say one more goodbye to their friend. So they just walked back over to this little chapel that wasn't far from where they were and they couldn't find the grave. We know that the grave was right here, right outside of the fence where, where is the, the grave. So they went back into the, the uh, church and they found the priest again and they said, um, we buried our friend right where you told us that we could. Where's his grave? And the priest said, you know, I sat up all night long just upset that your friend was buried outside of the fence. He said, so I got up in the middle of the night and I moved the fence. He moved the fence. Okay, that's a lot better than your acting. He moved the fence. Okay. The title of my message this morning is Move the Fence. Move the Fence. We're in a lesson series called Second Chance People. Second Chance People. And when I'm saying move the fence, I am not at all implying that we compromise the truth of the message of Jesus, okay? What I am particularly in addressing is any barrier in our own minds and in our own attitudes that would keep people from experiencing the message of Jesus. Because let me let you in on just a little something uh, what most people outside of a relationship with Jesus say, what keeps you from coming in, it's other Christians. It's people in the church with attitudes and wrong thinking that keep people from experiencing the message of Jesus. So this morning, I want to show you three opportunities where we can move the fence and love people enough to give them second chances. Anybody in here ever needed a second chance? Today, <laughs> probably, yeah. All right, so did you find Matthew 8? Matthew 8, starting in verse 1, says, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down 
mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Remember that, if you're willing, if you're willing. Now let me give you just a little bit of background on leprosy. It's a bacterial infection. I got, I got this right off the, uh, the, the internet, so it has to be true, right? Uh, leprosy is a bacterial infection, and it can lead to damage of the skin, the underlying nerves, the respiratory system, and the eyes. This nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain, which can lead to the loss of part of a person's extremities, fingers, toes, hands, because they continually injure that part of their body, but they can't even feel it. So they wind up kind of knocking it off. Now, let me know, let you know what I know from, from history here that, that uh, uh, leprosy was incurable during Bible times. Incurable, except by the power of God. And many people believed that God had inflicted this disease on people because of sin in their life. Sounds like some church folk, I know. Mm -hmm. Those with leprosy were not allowed to even live in town. They were pushed outside of town. And they had to live in separate colonies. And they had to live there until the day they died. A leper was not allowed to come within six feet of another person, including family. And listen to this. Many ancient rabbis, rabbis, teachers, church leaders, during Jesus' time, considered a leper as someone who was already dead. Considered them as already dead. Now, let's, let's look at the picture again. Jesus has just taught the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous uh, uh, sermon that Jesus gave that we have in the Bible, Sermon on the Mount, and it says that he's, as he's coming down the mountain, as Jesus has just told all of his disciples and his followers how to live, how to believe, how to love, He's coming down the mountain and a leper comes toward him and he says, if you're willing, if you're willing. This man was an outcast. If you're willing. So here's my first point. We need to move the fence and give a second chance to the outcast. Look at verse 3. After he said, are you willing? Verse three says, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. I am willing, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. I'm willing. Here's a question. Jesus was willing. Are we? Are we willing are we willing? Some would have said, uh, this disease is your fault because of the sin in your life. And I've heard people say, well, they're going through that because of the sin in their life. And Jesus said, even if that's true, I'm willing. Because you know what? Sin is not a barrier to the love of Jesus. 
Some would have told him, don't you take one step closer to me. Don't you come closer to me. Don't you move towards me. But Jesus moved towards him. Jesus didn't just pray for the outcast. He touched him. He touched him. And you need, you need to understand that this was a bold and compassionate touch from Jesus because it was against the law, against the Old Testament law to touch someone with leprosy. And by the very fact that Jesus did it, it made him ceremonially unclean. You listening to me? So Jesus didn't have to touch him in order to heal him. He healed him with a touch because that's what he needed. That's what he needed. He needed more than just a physical healing. There had been rejection. He was an outcast. He had been cast away. And by touching him, Jesus started the process of healing on the inside too. Jesus didn't preach him a sermon. He met his most desperate need. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, I know sometimes we see the word religion and we kind of freak out about it. But what he is saying here is a relationship with Jesus that is pure and undefiled. You really want to be a Jesus follower. You want to have a pure and an undefiled relationship with the Lord. It looks like this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Visit widows and orphans in their affliction. It didn't say how well you could sing. It didn't say how many uh, uh, scriptures you could quote from memory. Those are good things. But he said, you really want to know what makes us who we are? This is it. Visit widows and orphans in their affliction. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'll go visit a, a widow. She'll probably give me tea and cookies and it will be great. That's not what was going on during these days. You have to understand that if, if, a woman, uh, if a woman's husband died during this time and she did not have family that was going to take her in, she was an outcast. She was now homeless. She had no way to make a living. She was just cast aside. Orphans the same way. There was no such thing as an orphanage until the church thought it up. Kids were routinely in Roman culture at four and five years old. Oh, I can't, I, we can't pay for this child. We can't feed this child. They just put them out. They just cast them out. And so what is James saying? The outcasts, those that no one else wants, go to them in their affliction. Go and meet a need. There was a Roman uh, emperor, I can't, think of his name right now because it's not my notes because I just thought of this. 
I, I read this, and he wrote a letter, and he was not a, a lover of Christianity. In fact, uh, this guy I'm thinking of persecuted Christianity. But in a letter, he wrote, this Christian sect has grown because they love Rome's needy more than Rome. Well, I thought it was because of all the good preaching that the, the apostles did that the, the church was growing. Could be part of it. Well, what was really drawing people to the church was the fact that they were ministering to people no one else would. They were bringing in people no one else would. They were bringing in those no one else wanted. That is the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. So, who's the outcast? Who's the forgotten in our times? You could insert any other name in there. Go and visit blank in their affliction. Who is it? Who are the orphans and the widows of our time? Go to them. Step into their world and meet a need. It may be a group of people. It may be somebody that you know, but these people are outcasts. They're on the outside. Step in and meet a need. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that the, the whole Old Testament law and all of the teachings of the Old Testament prophets were summed up in this very simple thought. The way you want people to treat you, treat them. The way that you want people to treat you, treat them. Years ago, uh, I knew a family that uh, they had, a, had an elementary age child at that time, and, and this kid was getting picked on at school. There was a bully that, that picked on this child. And of course, the, 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 the parents went to, to the principal, went to the teacher, what can we do to fix this? And it, it just wasn't getting any better. And this was not the days where, you know, uh, they just threw people out for, for anything. You had to do stuff like I did to get thrown out of school. But we won't talk about that. This kid kept bullying their son. So you know what they did? They invited the kid to come over to their house and play. Just come over and play. Come over and get to know our family. And they fed him, and they were nice to him. And, and you know what it was? That the kid just needed a friend. The kid just needed a friend. That's all there was to it. He needed a friend. And because of their friendship with, with them, this kid started going to church. And because there was so much change in, in, in that kid, his parents saw it. And that family started going to church. See, you need to understand that uh, when we give an outcast a second chance, it could change a whole family. All right, let's move on. Still in Matthew chapter 8, looking at verse 5, it says, when he entered... Capernaum, this is Jesus. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came 
forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Here's the second opportunity to move a fence. Move the fence and give a second chance to your enemy. Who likes that one? Nobody likes that one. A centurion was an officer in the Roman army. Therefore, he was obviously a Gentile. Gentile means somebody that was not born into the the Jewish uh, religion. So he was a Gentile. And and Jews of of that day, they were already prejudiced against anybody that that was not Jewish. But all of the Jews had a, a reason to dislike a centurion because he was a Roman officer and Rome had come in and conquered Israel. They were occupying Israel. They were heavily taxing Israel. So why would anybody like them? Why would anybody like the enemy? But now this Roman soldier was asking a Jewish preacher for help. And just like with the leper, Jesus didn't hesitate. In verse 7, it says, And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now remember, Jesus got a crowd following him, right? Um, Healing a Jewish man of a terrible disease is one thing, but helping an enemy... Helping the enemy? What could his disciples, what could that crowd have been thinking? Well, what they should have been thinking is what Jesus was teaching when he was up on that mountain. Three chapters earlier. Because you know life is written in chapters, right? It says in Matthew 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And remember, you know, tax collectors, you know, we, we're not crazy about the IRS, but these guys, this was basically the, the mob, the mafia of the time, okay? You didn't pay up, they were coming to get you. But he was saying, don't even the tax collectors, don't even tax collectors love those that love them. Yeah. And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, those that are without God, those who are born outside of of this Jewish religion, don't they even do that? What Jesus was saying is that doing good to those who do good to you should just be a characteristic of a decent human being. Sometimes we fail at that. But to love your enemy takes the power of God. It takes the power of God. We want to believe that we love everybody. 
And we would even say, oh, I love them. I love people. I, I just love people. I'm a Jesus person. I love everybody. But Jesus told this, this wonderful little story to uh, expose hidden and sometimes even outright prejudice. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And they said, well, who's our neighbor? So Jesus tells one of the best stories that he tells. And Jesus was a great storyteller. But this one, this one went right to the heart of the matter. Who's my neighbor? The person that lives next door to me? Uh, no. Let me tell you a story about a Jewish guy who's going down uh, to, to, to sell his stuff in town. And along the way, he gets attacked. He gets beat up. He gets left for dead in a ditch. Two good uh, Jewish church people just pass him by. But then a Samaritan shows up. Samaritans. You think that the Jewish people hated the Romans? They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans, in their opinion, were the lowest of the low. Hate the Samaritans. But the irony of Jesus using the Samaritan as the hero of the story cut right to the heart of the matter. Don't just do what I say, do in such a way so you can check it off, but love the way this man loved. Because at the end of the story, he says, go and do like he did. Love your enemies. We have trouble with that, though, don't we? Why? Why? Just think about this. What groups do you despise? And I'm putting it on you this time. Most of the time I say we, because I like to keep it collective. I don't want anybody to think I'm pointing fingers, but we're individuals. There's groups of people you don't like. There are people you don't like. There are people that you might think are trying to do something to you. They're trying to, to, to steal from you, take from you, and they're enemies. And we look at enemies. We're looking for enemies. But what did Paul say? We don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. So why are we fighting people? Why are we fighting against people? Why do we do these things? I'm gonna say something that's gonna make somebody mad. I know it's gonna make somebody mad, but I, I'm, I'm doing it just as an illustration, okay? See, I have, to, I have to lay the groundwork here before people start throwing things at me. There's a whole bunch of people down on our border right now trying to get into our country. Do we hate them? Shouldn't. We shouldn't hate them, but there's a lot of people very upset and very mad about it. Oh, well, they're breaking the Well, okay. And I'm not going to go into this real deep, but I'm saying we need to have a, a higher, a higher uh, way of thinking than just I'm an American taxpayer and they're stealing all my tax money. Those are people. Those are people. Those are people. Could it be beyond the realm of possibility that God sent them here so we could minister to them? Could it be? Could it be? But why do we have so much trouble with this? Because we have the need to be right. I have to be right. These are my rights, right? How, how often do we hear that? These are my rights. I have to be right. But we're so right that we're separating 
You know, we talk about this cancel culture, right? We talk about this cancel culture where we say, I disagree with you. I don't want to hear from you. In my opinion, you don't even exist. Well, that sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? And the conservatives accuse the liberals of doing it, and the liberals accuse the conservatives of doing it. But guess what? We're all doing it. We're all doing it. I don't like you. I don't want to hear what you have to say, so I'm just going to act like you don't exist. And I'm going to push you aside, and I'm not going to listen to you. But what we need to understand is that listening, even if you disagree, listening, listening will unlock more hearts than just being right. Jesus was willing to go even though most considered the centurion an enemy. But Jesus was being right by showing love. I had a friend. About 20, 21 years ago, I had a friend that uh, his home church supported a, a, a local church in the Philippines. They, they had this, this, this connection, and every year they would go. They would do a mission trip, and they would go out into the jungles, uh, the Philippines, and they would do ministry there. They would go, and they would do work. You know, they would help them work on their building and things like that. Anyway, they would take up all, all these offerings so they could supply things for the church, and they did it, did it every year, every year. But this one year came around, when uh, the pastor and, and, and the elders of the church contacted the church in the Philippines and they said, okay, what is it that you want us to do? When we come over there, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that we need to be expecting to pay for this, this, and this? What is it? And they said, we don't want you to do anything for us. We want you to do it for the neighboring village, which happened to be a Muslim village. And the mosque in that village had burned down. So what this group of Christians did, they said, we prayed. We don't want you to do anything for us. We want you to help them. Is this sinking in? We want you to help them. We want you to show love to them. So they poured money and resources and time into helping this other community of faith that totally disagreed. And in fact, I'm not saying that that village had, but there has been a lot of persecutions of Christians in the Philippines. But the people over here in the Muslim village, they, they said, we would have never done that for you. In fact, if your church had burnt down, we'd have said that was God getting rid of the infidels. But through this act of love, a lot of those Muslims got saved. Because there, there is a way to love beyond just going, I love you. There's something about getting involved in somebody's need, even if it's an enemy or a, you know, a perceived enemy. Because love sees no race. Love sees no religious or social or political barriers. We should be more concerned about what would happen if we didn't love than any fallout because we did. 
All right, one last one. We're just about finished. Down in verse 28 of Matthew 8. It says, when he came to the other side, this is Jesus. Jesus and the disciples had gotten in a boat and they were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Something was happening that was so bad that it was an impasse. No one could go that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? What are you? There's an impasse. What's God going to do about it? Now, you probably know the, the rest of the story. I'm not going to read the rest of the story here. Uh, uh, the demons say, hey, if you're going to cast us out, can we go into the pigs? And Jesus said, yeah, go into the pigs. And even pigs know that you know, we don't need demons. So they, they run off a cliff and drown themselves, right? Now, I want to pick up the story, just, just this couple of verses, actually out of Luke chapter 8. In Luke, Luke is focusing on just one of these men. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 38 says, in the man whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home. What? I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, don't follow me. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Here's the last fence, real quick. Move the fence and give a second chance to family. Family sometimes hurts us when we're down. Now, there are all kinds of issues going on in families, and, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going into that. We're talking about people that have had an encounter with Jesus, all right? And sometimes our families have hurt us, but they've had an encounter with God. And now there's a place where there can be healing. But let's be honest, this is the way it usually goes. <laughs> when we were down, we hurt family. When we were down, we hurt family. But now we've had an encounter with God. And I wanna, I wanna reconnect with family. So we say around here that our past does not define us. Do you believe that? So if our past does not define us, let's not allow their past to define them. The way they've treated us in the past. But I've had an encounter with God now. The way they've acted, but they've had an encounter with God now. Let's move the fence. Let's move the fence. All right? Okay, well, today is Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus was cheered as a welcomed king as he was coming into Jerusalem. But you know that same crowd that was cheering him as king a week later 
was crying out for his crucifixion. But Jesus was willing to move the fence. Right? There was the moment that they welcomed him as king, and then there was the moment they were crying out for his death. And it wasn't just any death. We know that. It was one of the most brutal deaths that that anyone could ever experience. Yet, even though they had rejected him, even though he had been physically beaten beyond recognition, even though they nailed him to a cross, Jesus moved the fence. And he wasn't waiting. Right in the middle of the pain, right in the middle of everything, he said, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. Jesus was moving the fence. Today, I want to celebrate the fact that he looks at us and he says, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. That he's willing to move the fence for us.